Amen. Well, good morning again. I'm glad you're here this morning. And you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. That's the text that will be in this morning by the Lord's providence as we make our way verse by verse through this book, 1 Thessalonians. And so please do grab a Bible around you, uh, follow along so you can hear and learn from God's word and you can see it yourself. Uh, Once again, there's some Bibles somewhere around you. Please do grab one. Please do follow along uh, and and, uh, hear what God says in his word. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, as I said, we've been moving verse by verse through this book, and this is where we find ourselves uh, once again in this section of Scripture. And uh, as you're turning there, uh, it's been a wonderful morning of worship so far, and uh, we're praising God for who He is and what He's done. We're hearing Scripture read, we're hearing the gospel proclaimed, and in a little while, we'll witness a handful of folks obey the Lord's command to be baptized. And uh, this is a physical symbol of the Lord's salvation, which these folks have experienced. And they're going to give public testimony to that salvation and to God saving them and calling them to himself, saving them from lives of sin and calling them to salvation. And uh, of course, we know that God saves the dead sinner And he sanctifies the saved saint with the same word. And so as his word goes forth, the same word convicts the lost and saves them. And the same word sanctifies the one who has already been saved in Christ. And so this same word that's going forth, about to go forth as we read, study, and understand can save you through giving you an understanding of who God is, what he requires, and what he has done through Christ. And if you know Christ, this word will then build you up in Christ. And this is his divinely inspired word, which once again is all sufficient to save and sanctify. And so that's what I'm hoping he will do this morning. I know he will. Every time it goes forth, it doesn't return void. And so let's look to it this morning, and we'll start by reading the text, and uh, I got to turn to it first here, and um, everything that we speak of will proceed from this text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Y'all ready? Follow along as I read. Now concerning the times... And the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. What a section, huh? Now, what we're seeing in these particular verses is Paul described the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, especially as it relates to the day of the Lord. Paul here is describing the difference between the believer and the unbeliever, especially as it relates to the day of the Lord or God's judgment. And so, in other words here, Paul's teaching on the coming day of the Lord, and we've studied that pretty foundationally and somewhat extensively for the past three weeks, and even, or a couple weeks, and even before that, the rapture. We've studied the end times for a handful of weeks now. But Paul here, his teaching on the coming day of the Lord, which is in verses one through three of this section, now has these implications for the believer. This coming judgment, day of the Lord, which will be on the unbelievers, now has implications for the believers, for the church. And that belongs to these verses in 4 through 11. And the implications highlight the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Coming judgment, day of the Lord, implications for the church, highlighting the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. There's a difference. There will be a different outcome. There are different actions and attitudes. There will be a different result. We are in a different category. And therefore, even now, we should live differently. And so this is what Paul is making clear here. So this section in verses 4 through 11 is very practical. It's very applicational. The verses 4 through 11 that we're moving into now. It's still in light of the coming day of the Lord. Remember? 
but it's now very practical in its implications for the church. And he's saying, here's the difference that you should note for the unbeliever and the believer. You are the believer, therefore live like this. And so I've kept the same title of this section, The Coming Day of the Lord, and this will be the second to last message of the series on these verses. And they're just so, it's so rich here, we're just squeezing it all out, okay? And I don't want to rush this. It's got applications for our lives, and next week will be part four. We'll cover the rest of this four through 11 section. We're just going to cover the first part of it today. And plus, we have baptisms. I want to leave enough time for that. But listen, we're moving We're still in the context of the day of the Lord. He's taught on it. And now we're moving to its application for the church where he's highlighting the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. You should note that as we talk about the day of the Lord, it's a technical term, okay? It's different from the Lord's day, which is Sunday, which is when the believers in the New Testament began gathering and worshiping Christ after his resurrection. The day of the Lord is a technical term referring to the day of judgment after the tribulation, where God comes and takes the unbelievers away to a place of torment and destruction. You should know that the Bible only speaks of it, the day of the Lord, as a day of judgment. All of the Old Testament references and New Testament references are judgment. The day of the Lord has in its sights unbelievers and their coming judgment from God. Now, I know, again, the elephant in the room, that's not something most most people want to talk about. But that really doesn't matter whether or not you want to talk about it. And I say that with love. What matters is that this is from the word of God, and, and this has very important implications for your life. So the, God's judgment on those who have not been saved by the gospel of Christ, he's giving us insight into that. And those who have not agreed with God about their sin, who are still blind to their sin, living like the world lives, and just say, well, I'm not that bad. Everyone lives like me. I'm no worse than my neighbor is. But that doesn't define your standing before God. God does. And so these are for the the day of the Lord, the judgment of God, the wrath of God on those unbelievers on the day of the Lord. It will be for those who have not turned from their sin, trusted in the merit of Christ, who have not trusted in his death in his burial and his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. That judgment will come for those people. Now, for the believer, listen, this teaching should be encouraging for you. It should be encouraging for you that because of Christ's work on your behalf, you will escape God's judgment. Praise God. You will escape God's judgment because of Christ's work on your behalf. And not only will you escape God's judgment, but you will be in God's favor. You will be neutral. As we saw last week in Zephaniah, he will sing over you. He will rejoice over you. You will escape God's judgment and you will inherit eternal life. This should bring encouragement to you. And listen, 
the fact that you are not of the same category as the unbeliever who is to be judged because of Christ's saving work in your life, it should not only bring you comfort and encouragement, but it should strengthen you to live differently. Knowing who you are in Christ should make you live responsibly. It should make you live more effectively for Christ. Because your entire life, your entire existence has been made different by God's saving work in your life. Those who are under God's wrath live differently than those who have been saved from it. You should live differently, live consistently with your new identity in Christ. You should live not dabbling in the darkness like those do who are under God's wrath. Why would you ever want to dabble in the things of the people who are under the wrath of God? Why would you ever want to dabble in the darkness? Those people are of a different category. They're of a different sphere. They're in a different realm. They have a different destiny. They have a different status before God. One of wrath and judgment. One of his being his enemy. One who's darkened and dead in their sin. And will one day experience eternal torment unless God saves them. You don't want to dabble in that sphere. You've been saved from it. So you should be comforted and you should be strengthened to live differently. And in fact, this is exactly what Paul says the application should be. Jump down in your text to verse 11, just a little sneak peek. We'll get there next week. But verse 11, he says, after telling them about all of what I'm going to explain to you in this section, therefore, what? Encourage. That means comfort. That means you should be overjoyed that you've been saved from God's wrath. And what? Build one another up. That means strengthen. That means help each other live responsibly and effectively for Christ. So that's what the application is. Knowing that you've been saved from God's wrath, you will not experience his judgment, should give you comfort and encouragement, and it should make you live with this new identity, like the person who's been saved. So summarized in this effective teaching on the day of the Lord, we should understand that we will not be part of it. Therefore, we should be comforted, encouraged, and we should live differently but listen now, although this section is focused on the believer, this is to the church, this is to the ones who have been saved, that's who he's turning to now. Although it's focused on the believer, there are implications here for the unbeliever. And I want you to listen very closely. I'm glad you're here. I really am glad you're here. I hope you keep coming back. If you don't know Christ, Keep coming because you need to hear the word. That's how someone is saved. But what you can understand from this section is this, is that you are also characterized in this text. You are defined. You are, uh, it, 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 the Bible is defining you here. It's giving you a biblical definition as to how God sees you. The difference between the believer and the unbeliever. Here, the, the unbeliever you can see in this section how God defines your status as one who is unsaved. You can see here the biblical language of your characteristics that define you before God. 
And you might not define yourself like this, but this is how God defines you. And you need to know that. You need to hear that. In just a few minutes, we'll, there's more than a few minutes. I don't want to get you too excited that this is almost over, okay? We're going to see some baptisms. And we've helped them with their testimonies. And part of the reason to help someone with their testimony to share it is so that their testimony is not just experiential language, but that they grow in their understanding of salvation based upon what the Bible says so they can use biblical language to describe their salvation and have an even deeper understanding than what they might have had about their salvation. And the, using the Bible's language is important because we understand God's mind about things, right? And so I think it's important for you as an unbeliever, listen, as one who is not in Christ, not saved, to know what the Bible says about you, to have biblical language define your status before God rather than just your experience. I know I'm just a bad person. There's a whole lot more than that. The Bible should define you here, and it's important for you to know how God defines you. And listen, that's the first step in, in experiencing salvation, knowing your true condition before God. That's the first step, because hopefully it will lead to you crying out to be saved. So listen now, Paul writes to these believers about the day of the Lord. He is speaking now to the application of it, defining the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And we will move into this application. Here's the points, the sub points for the application of this section. The application is found in verses four through 11, as I mentioned. And here's how we're going to divide them up. This is the application of the truth, the teaching of the day of the Lord that he's given. And Paul says here in verses four through five that believers have a different identity. Number two, that their lives are defined then by different activity. In verses six through eight, and that ultimately they will have a different future reality, a different fate. The application of God's judgment, coming judgment of the day of the Lord on the believer's life. The believer should understand in light of the teaching of God's judgment in the day of the Lord that they have different, a different identity from those unbelievers who will be judged. Therefore, their lives should be made up of different activity, different actions, different living in verses six through eight. And they will ultimately experience a different future reality or a different fate. We're only gonna cover the first subpoint this morning, a different identity. And so let's jump into this. Let's move into the application of the coming day of the Lord for believers, which is the fact that Paul expresses that they have a different identity in verses four through five. Let me read it. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light 
children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now follow along with me, okay? I want you to understand what the scriptures are saying, what they mean by what they say, so that you can be not only informed, but again, transformed. So listen now, after describing the fate of the unbelievers at the end of verse three, look at verse three. That's the fate of the unbeliever. They will not, what? Escape. Escape what? Escape the destruction that's coming. We see that in verse three. This is what's gonna happen at the end during the time of judgment, at the end of the tribulation, during the day of the Lord, when the Lord comes to judge the unbelievers, destruction or death, eternal death, separation from God will come upon them. I won't rehash all of this. You can go back and listen to the messages. They will be taken away. Death will come upon them and they will not escape. Remember I told you that will not escape. And the Greek is ume, it's a double negative. In English, when you put a double negative, it equals a what? Positive. It's like saying they will not not escape. They will not not escape means they're gonna escape, right? But in the Greek, it doesn't mean that. It's emphatic. It means they will certainly, absolutely, no way possible escape. As the labor pains of the tribulation are the beginning of God's coming judgment on the day of the Lord, those who are in those times, they will not escape God's judgment. It will come on them as sure as a pregnant woman giving birth. That's the description here. It, it will, there is no way out of it. And so this is what he's describing here. The unbeliever, their fate is locked. When the end comes, the fate of the unbeliever will be locked. By the way, that's true of you in your death as well. If you die today, on your way out of here, on your way home, which I pray doesn't happen, there will no, be no escape after your death. Your fate is locked. That's why the scriptures say now is an acceptable time. Pray to the Lord right now to be saved. Now is, the day of, is a time that God will hear you and accept your plea for salvation and save you. But also, after the rapture, if we're still here, when Christ comes to take his church and those who remain at that commencement and into the day of the Lord, then into the tribulation and the day of the Lord, the unbelievers who are there, you only got two options, either you're dead or you're still living during that time. In both cases, your fate is locked. And so they will not escape. That's what he's saying here. It's important that you understand that. But after describing their fate of death, separation from God, which is summed up as destruction in verse three, 
he now turns to the believers with their fate. It's a contrast. Remember, he used these third-person pronouns. He says, look at verse 3. While people, in some translations, while they are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon who? Them, and they will not escape. He is speaking of not the church, but those who are unsaved, right? And so now he's going to contrast their fate with the believer's fate, and he's going to turn back to second person, you, talking directly to the church. Speaking of them, who's them? Categorically, the unbelievers. Now you, church. And so we know that this will be the result for them. After the suddenness of the day of the Lord, after the birth pains of judgment during the time of the tribulation, after they are deceived and deluded, they will be completely subject to the inescapable wrath of God. And Revelation 19 describes it. It says that they will be snatched away and thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. It's a place in which Satan, his angels, and the unbelievers will be tormented forever. That's just the Bible. That's what the Bible is saying. I want you to be saved. I want you to hear that, and I want you to not be part of that. Know my heart in describing this to you. This is what the Bible says. So now Paul turns to the church and he says, look at verse four, but who? You, second person, to the church, in the vocative, meaning direct address, to you, church, but you. When speaking, after speaking of the experience of judgment of the day of the Lord, now he speaks to the church. He says, but you, but Adversative conjunction, meaning I'm going to speak of something now that's, that's contrary to or the opposite or contrasting with what I just spoke about. But you, the church, and to reinforce the fact that he's speaking to the church, he says, he calls them what? Brothers, you brothers or brethren. He's addressing the believers. So he says, but you brothers are not in what? Darkness. That's their fate. But you, church, are not in darkness. Now, or the NASB, it says, the ESV, for that day to surprise you like a thief, the NASB, that the day, meaning the day of the Lord, would overtake you like a thief. Now, listen here. As you look at this, verse four, darkness here doesn't mean you're not in darkness like you don't have knowledge about the day of the Lord, so it won't overtake you. You won't be surprised. It's not speaking of that. It doesn't mean you're not informed about church. It doesn't mean now you, church, are not in, you're not gonna be surprised by the day of the Lord because you, you're not in darkness. You have knowledge about it. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you will not be surprised at his coming. Anyone who is still there will be surprised he calls it the coming being like a thief, right? It's, the thief is surprising. He's coming at night, 
as was described earlier. So anyone who's still there will be surprised. He's not saying, but you're not gonna be surprised because you're gonna be expecting it. No, he just said you're not gonna know when, right? But what he's saying here is describing essence. You are not of the darkness. You are not of the darkness. The word here in the Greek, skotas, it means a state of being. It means you, church, are not of spiritual and moral darkness. You are in a different sphere. You're in a different category. You're in a different realm. You have a different position. You have a different status. You have a different identity. You are not categorically like those who will experience God's judgment. Praise God. You have been put into a different category, namely right standing before the perfect, holy God through Christ. He is speaking of their identity, their nature. They have a new nature. They are in a different category. They are no longer of the darkness, so they won't be part of the day of the Lord. That's what he's saying. But you are not of the darkness. For that day to surprise you like a thief, the emphasis is on the wrong syllable if you're uh, thinking that the whole point is the thief. He's just, the thief des- describes the day. The day is what will simply not overtake those who believe. It's not that it's just not gonna overtake you like a thief. You're not gonna be surprised. It's the fact that this day that is described like a thief coming, this day of judgment won't overtake you because you have been saved. This is the Bible's description of the believer. Look at it, verse four. You are not in what? Darkness. This is the Bible's description of the believer. And by the way, the Bible's description of, we can infer here, the Bible's description of the unbeliever. Now, I want you to listen close because this is all we're gonna spend our time on today is this new nature, this different identity. Even back to the Old Testament, the Bible's description of an unbeliever. I want you to listen and hear this. Psalm 107, 10 through 12. I'm coming at you, rapid fire, lots of verses. I want the Bible to speak for itself. Some sat in darkness, and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. These are categorically unbelievers. In the New Testament, just to name some, John 1.5, the light of Christ shines in the what? darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, meaning Christ has come to the lost world. Those who are lost, who have not been saved in Christ are considered to be of the darkness. John 3, 19 through 20, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved 
darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So sinners who have not been saved by Christ are considered in darkness ones who hate the light. Ephesians 4, 17 through 18 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. If you are not in Christ The Bible describes you as being darkened in your understanding and alienated from God, having ignorance to the truth and being hard of heart. This might not be how you define yourself or your lost neighbor and friend, but this is the Bible's description of one who doesn't believe. Luke 22, 53 says, when I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, Jesus says, but this is now allowing the, the, him to be arrested and overtaken. This is your hour and the power of darkness. When the unbelievers had their way, it was time for darkness, Jesus said. Colossians 1.13 says that unbelievers are in the domain of darkness. Jude 3 through 13, when describing false teachers and speaking of the angels who rebelled against God, he says this, listen to this one. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, listen to, listen, listen to the destiny of those who are of the darkness. Afterwards, after he saved those who are his, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay with their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. That's what will happen to those who are unbelieving and those who are not in Christ. Yet in the like manner, these people also, relying on dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. They are destroyed by all 
that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Woe to them. This is speaking of an unbeliever. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear. Their shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is the few places that unbelievers, Satan and his angels, are associated with, described as of the darkness, in the darkness, darkened in their understanding, and will experience judgment, which is darkness. And by the way, this is consistent with what the Bible describes about the day of the Lord. Zephaniah 1 says, the great day of the Lord is near. Listen, It is hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud. A day of wrath is the day of the Lord, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blasts and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. And so listen now, I want you to hear this. When Paul is saying here, you are not of the darkness, he is saying you are categorically different now than the unbeliever. The unbeliever in scripture and all those associated with the unbeliever, the false teacher, Satan and his angels are of the darkness, in the darkness, darkened in their understanding. And you have to know that although you might not feel like you are in the darkness if you don't know Christ, that you are of the darkness. That's how the Bible describes you. That's the category. And the day of the Lord, which is God's judgment on sinners who have not been saved by Christ, will be fitting because it will be a day of darkness and gloom. And that's what is coming to you if you don't repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Now, I want you to hear what the Bible says about believers being taken out of this state of darkness. Because that's you, Paul says, you are not of the darkness. Psalm 107, 13 through 15. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Isaiah 9, 2, still Old Testament. The light is Christ, the Messiah. Listen, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone, meaning the Messiah's come, the Savior's come, the Christ has come to call people out of darkness and into light. In Luke chapter one, John the Baptist said, uh, John the Baptist said, and you, or of John the Baptist, it says, you child, 
shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Listen now, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Matthew 4, 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them the light has dawned. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in what? Darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus to Paul about his ministry in Acts 26, it says that Jesus says, here's what Paul's going to do. Stay with me. This is what Paul's going to do in his ministry. He's going to speak to the people to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan, this is parallel statements, meaning darkness equals being under the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. How do you get out of the darkness? You hear the message of the light of Christ. You understand the gospel message. You turn from the darkness to the light and the word of God sanctifies you as you become more and more like Christ. The gospel message is the pathway out of this spiritual state of darkness. When we see Christ, you see his divine incarnate nature, that he's come to live this perfect life. Listen, die as a substitute for sinners. When you see the truth about your own sin, that's why I said, you knowing the category by which God places you in as an unbeliever is the first step towards salvation. You have to agree with God about your state, about your spiritual state. And then you turn from your sin. You believe the truth about Christ and his payment on your behalf. That his, God's wrath was satisfied by the death of an innocent substitute. Isn't that an act of grace of God for him to allow an innocent substitute to take the penalty for you? He didn't have to allow that. God from the Old Testament established a way that an innocent substitute could satisfy his wrath. What a gracious act of God. And so Christ satisfied that. And you turn from Christ. I am turned from your sin to faith in Christ. The Bible says, Colossians 1.13 says that he then has delivered you. Listen, from the domain of darkness. Listen, and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Listen now, this is what happens to the believer. And this categorically puts you in a different place before God where you will not experience his judgment. And by the way, though, listen now, we're almost done. There are actions that come along with this, which is what we're gonna get into in the rest of this section. Colossians 1 says those who have been transferred into light should walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. He's qualified you by Christ's work to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. And so you should walk like one who has been saved. So there's a difference in position that enables this difference in practice. When God saves you, you then live like what you've been made to be. So this, in this first verse, verse four in our text, Paul, Paul is speaking of this different nature or identity. And he says this, look at verse four. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you. That is not your identity. That is not your nature. The day of judgment, the day of the Lord will not overtake you. You will not be part of it. Either you will die or you will be raptured to be with Christ. And that day will not overtake you. And it won't even take, overtake those who become believers during the tribulation period, which will happen. The day of the Lord, the judgment of God will only apply to unbelievers. I think Malachi 3, 16 through 18 summarizes this difference well. Listen to this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And the book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possessions, I will spare them as a man spares a son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. There is a distinction and that's what Paul is bringing to light here. You will not experience God's wrath or judgment, believer, church, because you have been made new. You have a new nature, a new identity. And so here, the darkness or the light or the day refers to that. Now, we're almost done, and I want to just touch on verse 5, but I want you to notice before we do, look at this. You are not in darkness for that day, what day is he speaking of there? He's speaking of the day of the Lord, right? Which he just spoke about, which he just taught about. And I want you to know, because we're just gonna squeeze out all this juice in this section. This is also very different from a different day that the Bible describes, which is, can be summarized as the day of Christ. And the day of Christ in the scriptures, it's used six times in different variations. Um, sometimes it's called the day of the Lord of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's called the day of, Lord Je of, of the Lord Jesus. Sometimes it's called the day of Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's called the day of Christ. But the day of Christ, when mentioned in its various forms, is always a picture of blessing for believers. It's always a picture of blessing for believers. And it is to be identified with the rapture. It's to be identified with the rapture. We say that there's three main texts that deal with the rapture, right? I told you this, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, 1 Thessalonians 4, right? Well, I also think that, I think it's pretty clear that every instance in 1 Thessalonians, besides the explicit teaching of the day of the Lord, actually also speaks of the rapture. 
chapter two, verse 19, chapter three, verse 13, chapter four, verse 15, chapter five, verse 23, and then second Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. It's talking about the blessing of the saints being gathered, of the saints being together before God, having no shame before him, and of his coming in that way. Those are rapture texts. That's the church experiencing the blessing of God, the day of Christ, when Christ comes to take his church prior to the tribulation and prior to the judgment. And so this whole book is full of pointing out the blessing of the rapture, which again helps us to see that the church will not be part of it. Again, those texts. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 3, 13, 4, 15, 5, 2, 1, all rapture texts. The blessing of the day of Christ or the rapture will be believers being brought near to God, being saved from his wrath, and yet believers, unbelievers, will experience his judgment. And so this should encourage you. This should encourage you. Now look at verse five and we're done. For you all, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now listen now. In verse five, what he's doing here is he's further explaining what he just said. For explanatory conjunction. He's explaining what he just said just with more detail. For you are not of the night or in the night or in the darkness that you should experience God's judgment of the day of the Lord. And now he's speaking of it, explaining it even further. For you are all children of what? Light, of what I just described to you. That's the believer. You, church, are all, not just a select few, right? You, God's true church, the believers. Remember he said in chapter one that these were true believers who had been saved. You remember this? This true church, these true believers, are of the light. They're of the light. And the Bible contrasts this again with the unbeliever. Ephesians 2, it says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And now we've been born again. You are children of the light. You know what that means? It means the sphere in which you live. The sphere in which you live. You are now living in the sphere of light. You've been brought into a new reality in light of Christ. And so how does this happen? It happens through the gospel message. Look at verse five again and we're done. You are children of the light children of the day. That's just a parallel statement. Light belongs to when? The day. Just like darkness belongs to what? The night. And so you, him saying here that you're a, a child of the light or a child of the day is the same thing. It just helps you to have a more clear picture, a little bit fuller picture. Believers belong to the light. They belong to the day. The light of Christ to shine on them shown on them. Believers belong to the dark or to the night. And uh, if you think about it, you ever wonder why those who go out and live sinful lifestyles do so when? 
at nighttime. And you think about the characteristics of the night. There's uh, the ability to do things that are hidden. There's not as clear sight, etc. Well, that's the characteristics that make up these people. And really, he's just pointing to the unbeliever. There's a difference. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says this, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness. Meaning this, we reach unbelievers, but there's no fellowship there. That's why unbelievers aren't part of the church. There can't be fellowship there. Why? We are categorically different. You can reach the unbeliever, but there's no fellowship. We are categorically different. The ones of the light who have been saved by Christ are in a different status, a different sphere. So he says, you are of the light, you are of the day, you are not of the darkness, you are not of the night. Now listen, next week, he's gonna move now from their different position and their different identity to their different lifestyle. Look at verse, just a preview, verse six. So then, so then, here's how you should live. Now church, as we close this this morning, all I want you to hear and understand is that believers are in a different category than unbelievers. And what Paul is highlighting here is that the believers in Christ will not experience God's judgment like the unbeliever will. You have been saved, born again, made new, and are in a new category before God. That should comfort you. That should encourage you. That should make you want to live differently. I want you to think about that as you leave this, this service today. I really do. I know I'm just belaboring the point, but listen to me. If you have been saved in Christ, if you have a new nature, if you have been made new, if you're a new creation, if you've been transferred from darkness to light, if you are now a child of the light, of Christ, of the truth, of righteousness, of goodness, why in the world would you live as though you had a different identity. We're making a big deal about this identity thing right now in society, aren't we? And we know how God has created male and female with certain identities. And they're not to be changed. They can't be changed. But we also look at this in a salvific perspective. That you have been made new in Christ and you live in sin you are living as though you have a different identity, a darkened nature, that you live in a sphere that is, doesn't know the truth and that has never believed in Christ. If you, God has saved you, you are escaping judgment by his grace, but you should also live in light of that. And if you don't know Christ, my encouragement to you again is to cry out to him for salvation so that he might save you that he might take you out of that sphere of darkness and bring you to the kingdom of his beloved son. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and I just pray by your mercy and by your grace that you would just use this word as we just try to 
say every which way that believers should take great comfort and encouragement from the fact that they have been taken out of darkness. They've been given a new nature. They've been saved from your wrath. We will not experience your judgment. We are of the light. We have a different nature and identity. Lord, help us to live as those people. Help us to realize that. Help us to realize we have seen the truth. You have shown us Christ, that you have made us new. Our old life is dead, that we are those who love your word and love righteousness and goodness and holiness and who will experience your kindness in eternity. And Lord, I pray for those who are of the darkness that will experience your wrath, that you would open their eyes, that you would shine the light of Christ, that they would turn from sin to righteousness and that they would live for you. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in these ones who are being baptized by calling them out of darkness and into light. And I pray that you would show your power to save through these baptisms in just a moment. In Jesus' name, amen.